Tim Kewen. There's a tweet from my friend Jane Coaston, host of the New York Times podcast, The Argument, that I want to share with you. It says, quote, if you're a Michigan and Lions fan, this has been the greatest two-week period of your life, end quote. We just saw Big Blue win the national title, and now the Detroit Lions are doing things they haven't done in more than three decades. Winning their division, hosting and winning playoff games, heading to their first NFC Championship game in 32 years. We remember, because we were there, it was in D.C., I was a kid. You recently visited Detroit to spend time in the Lions camp. What were the vibes like around town, sir? Oh, you know, apologies to Michigan fans, but there's a whole different history with the Lions than there is with Michigan. Uh, Michigan's expected to be good. They've been good many, many years. Uh, this team has captured this city in a way that, uh, that you rarely see. It's classic first success, right? Where these this team comes together and everybody kind of grows up with them and watches them. And I think that hope that they started with, with Dan Campbell three years ago, has really blossomed into something that people really feel an ownership with this team in Detroit. And they are, they're just wildly behind them, as you might expect. Look at everywhere. Look at this. You don't see nothing like this. I happened to visit during week 17, which was after the infamous Cowboys loss. You know, two two days after the game, the, these billboards appeared around town. And there were several of them in Grand Rapids and Flint and Detroit that just said Decker reported. And I think that was sort of a, a sign, right, that these people are just so into it that somebody anonymously spent thousands of dollars just to put that up on a billboard to tell people really what they already knew anyway, which was that Decker reported. Decker reported, of course, being a reference to the blown call against the Lions on the two-point conversion that should have been successful, ultimately costing them a game a few weeks ago against the Cowboys. But even that disappointment hasn't quieted the joy around the city. We've seen fans literally sobbing in their seats. Tears of joy, mind you. The Ford company released the Lions-specific logo for their car company. It's just been everywhere. And it all starts with head coach Dan Campbell and the culture he's installed. How has he changed things so drastically, Tim? The way he's done it is, is very viscerally. He has done it from the ground up and his personality and and being part of everything and, and really connecting with players. Okay, I'll, I'll just say it like this, all right? Hey, you're good enough for Detroit, <laughs> And, you know, I go around that locker room and talk to guys and they say the most amazing thing about him is how everybody knows where they stand. There are no walls. And in many, you know, many Major League Baseball teams, NFL teams, NBA teams, there are walls. The guys don't always trust the people making the decisions. There has to be a certain barrier between the people that make those decisions and the people that play. They don't feel that there. They feel like there's just this, this togetherness that, that to a man they say they've never really experienced in, in professional football. In a season full of exceptional coaching jobs, there are few that you can point at as being better than what Dan Campbell has done with his Detroit Lions this season. 
the man recently anointed as the 2023 NFC Coach of the Year, who himself was a member of the 0-16 2008 Lions, now has them knocking on the door of a Super Bowl appearance in only his third season at the helm. So today, Tim Kewen, fresh off a trip to Detroit, tells us how Campbell accomplished this monumental overhaul on the field, in the locker room, and throughout Motor City itself. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Friday, January 26th. This is ESPN Daily. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Tim, for most of us, this whole thing starts with Dan Campbell being introduced as the Lions head coach at the press conference, launching into one of the strangest introductory diatribes we've ever heard. And So this team's going to be built on... Uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right? And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up. And then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do... A lot of people, even around town, kind of looked at him as an unserious person at that point. But beyond the almost cartoonish vibe on display there... Campbell in a coat and tie, describing violence like a scene out of Mighty Python or something. What did you learn about the man himself leading this team and who he actually was? Well, I learned that there's a lot more there, as as you might expect, because you can't just be, uh, you know, a football meathead 24 hours a day and get people to follow you. You know, there's a there's a uh, there's a lot of substance to him, and and if you watch the way that he wears his emotions on his sleeve, he's not afraid to to cry in a press conference when you see your players give all that they have and uh and you lose that way it's tough you know you don't want that for them so um but we'll be better for it you know his personality is is very reflective of of almost like a fan you know he goes through the same phases during a game as a fan does and, you know, I, I feel that that players really respond to that. They respond to that sort of visceral emotion and, and the feeling that, you know, this guy is as invested in it as they are and invested in it in a way that is sort of more at a ground level than than at, you know, 40,000 feet. He is he is there with them. He has the type of charisma that that is you, you can't fake. You can't fake what this guy has. He's got a, a realness to him that seems to be drawing everyone to him, not only in the locker room, in the city, and in a lot of places around the NFL. There are a lot of people that have become Lions fans in the last few weeks because of the way that he coaches and, and the way that his team responds to that coaching. I got to say that NFC Championship game back in 1992, I went to every home game that year as a child. It was my introduction to the NFL. I was that lucky. It was the one game I thought my hometown Washington football team was going to lose. You know why? Because they had Barry Sanders. Oh, well. <laughs> they still remember Barry very fondly in Detroit. I think he's their, he's their, uh, 
their last great memory of, of Detroit Lions football. You describe Dan Campbell in your profile piece that's up on ESPN.com right now as, quote, the kind of guy who every football player in history at every level has played with but not for, end quote. What did you mean by that? Well, I, Clinton, I, I, you know, watching him, you know, in the 15 minutes that we get before practice starts and, and watching him go around and, and, and how he handles himself with, with his team and, and, and with the press, I, that image just came to me that, you know, I played high school football. I played with Dan Campbell. You know, he, was, he had a different name. But he was always in the weight room. He was always, you know, headbutting guys before the game. It nothing meant more to him than the game, and I think that that's just that's who he is, and that's part of that draw that he has is that that every guy and I kind of crowdsource this. I ask guys if they bought into that, and, and they were like, "That's that's right. That's exactly right." There's always a Dan Campbell in the locker room, and there might be a Dan Campbell on the coaching staff, but most of the time he's just like a mugshot in a media guide. He's the tight ends coach or he's, you know, the special teams coach or something. But his rawness is rarely something that a team will will willingly make the face of their franchise. And that's that's kind of what I was getting at with that is that he he is rare in that he does not get he does not appear to be caught up in the politics of anything. The way he coaches, the way he goes for it on fourth down, his his seemingly crazy fake punts, they they just reek of a guy who's not afraid of losing this job. But number two for Fox. Oh, they fake it and go inside. They fake from their own 17-yard line and pick up the first down. You just don't expect it from inside the 20-yard line. I mean, Dan Campbell setting the tone already for this season. Anything goes. He's coaching to win, and he's coaching to win over the guys on his roster. And it's kind of fun to watch because it is rare. It is rare to see that Dan Campbell personality be in charge. You could tell from when they were on Hard Knocks immediately that that infectious attitude was something that was really going to affect this team. But I'm going to go back a few weeks to the moments after the Lions lost to the Cowboys, when the refs quite literally blew the game with a bad call on that two-point conversion. Play action. End zone. There it is! Unbelievable! The two-point try is good. What else could be? Touching by number 68. So the call is an illegal touch. I think number 70 and number 68 came in. How did Campbell's reactions after the game and in the days following help keep his Lions team on track? Well, he had called this incredibly perfect play, right? He had a he had a tackle eligible. Jared Goff rolled to one side, threw it back to to Taylor Decker, and it really was the culmination of a season to beat the Cowboys in in Dallas and and to to you know put themselves in a position to to maybe you know get the the second seed and, and they were still perhaps in the running for the top seed at the time so it was just a devastating loss and and as i describe in the in the piece he Campbell came just just barging into the press conference you know and he's red faced and he's he's a big thick guy and he just filled the room right away and it just was like okay he's this is going to be this is going to be good 
and he he held on to the podium with both hands like it was going to fly away and he just he just went you know he tried his hardest not to say what he wanted to say Do they need to announce that if if both um, players report two people can't report i don't want to talk about it all right i explain everything pregame to a t okay i did that 70 reported, 68 didn't. We threw it to 68. That was the explanation. But he kept being asked about it. He kept saying he didn't want to talk about it, that he just explained it, and he had nothing else to say. And then after that, on Monday at his press conference, he just said, we're over it. I woke up yesterday. I'm, I'm ready, man. I've got controlled fury, and uh, I'm ready to go. I am, I'm absolutely ready to go. I don't go the other way. So, And the team won't either. Uh, we're on a mission, and uh, we're not going to uh, we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves and wallow in everything. So we will use this as fuel. I got pure octane right now. I woke up. I'm ready. So we're moving forward. I talked to Jared Goff about it, and he said he'd never left a game that he lost feeling better about the game. Like it was just a weird feeling because in their minds they won. They did what they had to win, and and it didn't happen. And so I think the way that Campbell redirected them, you know, and just said, we're over that. He didn't, he didn't linger on it. So nobody else was allowed to, right? It was just like, Hey, we're past it. Jared Goff, of course, the team's starting quarterback and the relationship between the QB and the head coach is certainly an important one. So between Campbell and Goff, that's no exception. You reported on Goff extensively during his time with Los Angeles. I happen to live in Los Angeles, so I know exactly what that exit was like. What did you learn about those two and how they relate to each other in your reporting? Well, Clinton, you know, I, I go back to high school with Jared Goff because he played against two of my sons in baseball and, and football. So I know I've, I've watched him from the time he was a freshman in high school and seen, you know, just what a, what a remarkable talent he's always been. Um, and the one thing that I always thought people undersold with him was his toughness. And I think that his toughness was put to such a test after that Rams departure because he was basically broken. I mean, he had been scapegoated out of out of L.A. Um, you know, there's the famous line that, that Sean McVay said about when he was asked after the playoff loss if Goff was still his quarterback, and he said he's our quarterback for now. You know, the, mm. those two words were were just a knife, you know, into Goff's psyche. A few years later, you get traded to Detroit. What was your like initial reaction to that after you just led your team to the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was hard. It was it was definitely difficult. It was a a hard time, you know, because it was kind of um, I wasn't aware that that was a possibility or that's something that, you know, they were, they were thinking about, you know, I wish there would have been some conversations that weren't had. Um, it was difficult personally and obviously on the field professionally. And when he got to Detroit, he didn't know what to expect. He'd never lived anywhere but California. He kind of was very low, as he put it, because he kind of he showed up as as somebody that was was viewed as a failure. And and Campbell really, in in addition to Jared's family and, and other people, but Campbell was a guy that kind of put him back together. There's three things that I think about with Jared Goff. He's tough. He's durable. And most importantly, he's a winner. He is one in this league. He knows how to win. And I told him this, and I'm going to continue to tell him, all we need from him is to come in and play quarterback. You just play quarterback. You don't have to be a savior here. You just be the quarterback. 
you know, I think that belief that Campbell had in Goff, you know, everybody thought that that trade with with Stafford going to L.A. was that that Goff was just kind of dumped in the in the deal, right? Like he had to go along to make the trade work. Yeah. But the guys in Detroit didn't see it that way. Dan Campbell didn't see it that way. He saw it as an opportunity rather than than a, an albatross. And I think that that is the way that he had to treat Jared Goff. It was the only way that Goff was going to come out of that hole was if he had somebody like Dan Campbell put his arm around him and say, hey, you know, I believe in you. I don't care about anybody else. Let's be frank here, though, Tim. The Lions have not been good for ages. And frankly, Dan Campbell is perfectly positioned to understand that. He was on that 0-16 Lions team in 2008. Do you think anybody else would have been as well-suited to understanding what needed to change and what needed to happen in Detroit? It seems unlikely, Clinton, that somebody could combine the personal history and the personality the way Dan Campbell has and his knowledge of that city and and his apparent love for that city. It, it feels like he could have been successful anywhere. Like this, this program that he has put in place and the way he's dealt with his team and his coaches feels like it, it could transfer other places. You know, it could, it could work anywhere. However, it works really, really well here because he feels a connection to the community. He went through a winless season wearing that uniform. Uh, so it means a little bit more to be the guy that, that turns it around. And I think that that's really part of what has really brought this city together behind this team is that they they feel organic you know it feels like this team was built organically behind a guy that gets them and i think that that is that is a really rare and cool thing in professional sports before we move on to the challenge that the lions have coming up this weekend after spending time there how convinced are you that this motivator fiery guy approach is in fact sustainable in the NFL. That's a that's a great question, Clinton, because we've seen it. Um, you know, we saw it in San Francisco with with Jim Harbaugh, where he he kind of burned out, you know, and he kind of had that same uh, charisma. You know, there's a different vibe around Harbaugh, but there was just that that same sort of raw, raw emotional tie that he had with his players. And it wasn't sustainable. And we'll have another example of how sustainable the Harbaugh approach is as news broke that he will be returning to the NFL on the sidelines as a head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers next season. You know, I think that I, I get back to the people telling me not to confuse the outward meathead with the guy that, that is inside the smart very his emotional intelligence dan campbell i'm talking about obviously is is off the charts he gets when to push and when to pull back and i think you know if i had to bet right now i'd say it's going to be i feel like he's going to have a pretty good run in detroit it may not have this kind of success every year probably won't but i think he's going to be remembered very fondly when he's done when he's done coaching the lions they're probably going to put a statue out in front of the stadium well the face of the last lions team to make the nfc championship has one barry sanders so it might be fitting that dan campbell gets one as well coming up 
We'll dig into the matchup facing the Lions on Sunday. Warm up with the hottest games live with Vivid Seats. No matter the sport, Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, you can score free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, an annual birthday discount, and more. They're the only ticket company in the game that rewards fans for every purchase. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious, meat nutritious, in the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go, and you're on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Okay, Tim, I want to dive into this weekend's big game, the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers, to decide who will be going to the Super Bowl. What's your sense, being around that locker room, of how the Lions are approaching this game? Well, Clinton, I think that we've seen during the regular season, we've seen through two playoff games that these guys believe it, right? Like we might be skeptical of who are the Lions and they've been bad for so long. How can they be this good? How can they go in and and, and win in Santa Clara against this 49ers juggernaut? But they don't look at it that way. You know, they're very confident. They feel like, you know, that, that, they dictate the tempo and the and the uh, just the way that the game is played. They feel like defensively and offensively that they're going to come out and make the 49ers react to them. Remains to be seen if it works, but I think the vibe in that locker room is is just full speed ahead, and this is just another uh, you know another obstacle on their way to to really writing some incredible story by the end of this. Full disclosure, though, you live in Niners country, Tim. You can't really avoid that team or their fan base. What are the challenges you think that team poses for the Lions? Oh, many and multiple challenges. I think that the the 49ers offense has just so many different ways that they can win. And, and, and Kyle Shanahan has so many different uh, plays at his disposal. And, and everything that they do is really intended to hit the the worst weaknesses of the defense. A little flip, Debo Samuel gets a block from Ayu. Good run. First down and in some for Samuel, who's into Seattle territory. We didn't see it that much last week against the Packers, but I think going into this game, there are some 
some significant issues that the Lions have. You know, they have given up huge, huge games to good wide receivers all year. Matthew alone in the shotgun, play clock at three. He's ready, he has it. Against a four-man rush, well protected. Deep down the left side, Puka behind the defense, caught the 20, they go inside the 10, slips into the end zone, touchdown LA! I know C.J. Gardner-Johnson coming back has really made their secondary a little bit better. I still think it's a weakness for them. Um, and I think that, you know, whether Debo Samuel plays and depending on what percentage of him the 49ers are able to put on the field will have a lot to do with how well they can exploit all those issues that the Lions have in the secondary. You know, defensively, it's, it's interesting to me because the 49ers defense gave up a lot of really big run plays last week to, to Aaron Jones and you know, the, the Lions have an incredible running game. Golf will move in behind center, offset eye behind him. Up back, Cabinda, deep back, Gibbs. Golf turns, Gibbs to Gibbs over the left side. There he goes inside the 30, inside the 25. Gibbs, speed, 10, 5, end zone, touchdown. Yes, Lions turning on the Jets. Jameer Gibbs running away from the defenders, and the Lions are back on top. And if they can get that going, if they can, Jameer Gibbs and and David Montgomery can can really start rolling, then that opens up Goff. That allows him to get the time he needs. And it, when he has time, he is as good as anybody. I mean, if they can pressure him and shut down the running game, it's going to be a long day for the Lions. But I do think that there is an avenue for victory here for the Lions. I get that they're underdogs. I think they deserve to be underdogs. But I think there is a, a pathway there for them if everything breaks correctly. To that point, we've heard this phrase quite a few times over the course of the playoffs about this team, which is that they are playing with house money. Nobody's saying they're not going to battle to the end, but this season will likely be considered a massive success for Dan Campbell and the team, regardless of the outcome at Levi Stadium on Sunday. On the other side of the coin, though, Kyle Shanahan and this team have been to the NFC Championship game in four of the past five seasons and ultimately do not have anything to show for it rings-wise. How would you describe where the pressure lies in this matchup? I think it's a great dichotomy between these two coaches, Clinton. I think that uh, I think all the pressures on Kyle Shanahan. That doesn't mean that he's going to feel it or he's going to blow it or <laughs> anything like that. But I do feel like when you say house money, it, it can be a cliche. But when you look at it in terms of Dan Campbell and the Lions, it seems really appropriate. He doesn't concern himself with next week or whether he's going to have a job in another month. He's just he's coaching for the moment. And a lot of it is that visceral approach that he takes to, to everything. Um, and I think that Shanahan is in a position, you know, you could kind of write off last year because Brock Purdy got hurt and then, you know, Josh Jackson got They were ended up with McCaffrey as their quarterback. So that, that NFC championship game was kind of a, a wash. It was an outlier. But this 49ers team has been built to win right now. And they, on paper, have the best talent. They have a better team than, than the Lions, just to be honest about it. But I think that a lot of this will come down to, to how Shanahan plays it. If it's a close game, you know, Shanahan tends to play a little close to the vest, you know, and, and I think that that is going to be very interesting to watch how Campbell and, and Shanahan go back and forth and, and whether Campbell is as, um, 
you know, successfully reckless. Is that a way to put it in this game as, as he has been all season? This team has been molded in the form of Dan Campbell, but let's just say for whatever reason, it doesn't go on. What of what you have seen do you think are the things that he definitely needs to keep doing for the Lions to take the next step? I feel like going to the NFC Championship game in his in his third season is proof that that whatever he's doing, he probably needs to keep doing it until it fails. That's how I would put it. You know, I I think that that the things that he needs to keep doing is is keep connecting with his players. You know, as I watched before every single practice that I attended. He goes up and down the stretching lines every day and makes physical contact with every single player and says something. And it's usually just, hey, let's have a great day or something. And he's, you know, he's hugging guys. He's, you know, he's shaking hands. He's patting guys on the back. There's just something that he does every day to keep that connection. And I think that that's what he needs to keep doing. That's his his superpower, right, is that he can connect to these guys and they feel it. That's the key is for him to, as we say, no walls, right? Is if, if, if walls start being built, people are going to start wondering if he's real. And, and I think that, you know, we have no reason to believe he's not. You know what everybody's going to be eating for dinner in Detroit the night before the game on Saturday, right? Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Clinton. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bruce Baldwin, Ashley Brown, Bradford Craig, Andrew Hahn, Alexander Hyacinth, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, and Phoebe Untermann. Special thanks to Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday, kiddos.